So, um, simply put, the first noble truth is that there's going to be some universal experiences in life, and they're, they're going to suck. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna grow old. You're gonna you know you're gonna die. And not only that, the Buddha said, but there's gonna be uh, other stuff that's kind of bad, frustrating, loss. And then there's the way we react to all these inevitables that add on top of the inevitable difficulties and, and, and uh, challenging emotional experiences, then we add additional suffering. And that's the second noble truth. We want life to be different. We take these universal experiences personally. Why me? It's kind of funny. I've been doing... Uh, counseling for so many years, and everybody comes in believing that their anxiety is worse. I don't know, maybe other people are anxious, but mine, believe me. (laughs) My anxiety is worse. My fear, my this, my that. It's always, you know, we we tend to take everything that is going to happen in life, we tend to take it personally. Um, And on top of that, we tend to view things not as changing, but as um, somehow inevitably getting worse or just staying as it is will never change. Uh, We tend to uh, project into the future, worry what people think about us, worry how we compare to others. And in this way, we take these universal first noble truths and turn them into stuff that's really, really unbearable. The Buddha taught if we could just experience these first arrows of um, growing old, sick, uh, the five daily recollections, I am the nature to grow old, sick, die, I will be separated from those I love, from that which I love, and um, I will be stuck with the results of my actions. In the first noble truth, the list goes... um, not only, I will, not only are we of the nature to uh, grow old, die, but the Buddha said, interestingly, there, not only will there be separation, there will also be, fascinatingly, he says, there will be sorrow, lamentation, grief, and despair. And a lot of people don't pay attention to that line. It's kind of interesting that he throws those in. Some people, uh, some teachers I've, I've studied with, don't just read that really quickly and don't really go into it. So tonight I'm going to talk about uh, sorrow, lamentation, grief, and despair. <laughs> You're probably like, oh great, I got that talk. So um, the Buddha put that list in uh, the, in the inevitables, the first noble truth. It's not an option. We're not going to get through life without sorrow, without sadness, without grieving. So I'd like to tell you uh, a little anecdote. Um, this is one of my favorite, favorite 
stories from developmental psychology. And developmental psychology doesn't have to be a fucking bore. Um, there's some amazing studies in there if you uh, take the time to uh, read about them and learn about uh, some of the major events and uh, clinical studies in it. So anyway, there was a great psychologist named John Bowlby, and in World War II, he became interested in the subject of um, children that were separated from their parents at a very crucial age. During World War II, London and major cities were being bombed all the time, and so the children were taken away from their parents and were put in these large, uh, were sent away from the city center so they weren't going to be uh, uh, endangered. Also, there was a lot of children that were put in hospitals due to injuries that occurred in the bombing. So there was a lot of um, experiences where the children were suddenly separated from their caretakers. Now, normally in human development, uh, there's a process to our separation from our orbit around our mothers. And that happens when we're about three years old. Generally, for the first couple of years, we're orbiting anxiously around our caretakers, especially generally around the, uh, the mother, but if it can be around the father. And the child is just constantly uh, connected emotionally to the mother, looking, wanting to be monitored. That's where the security comes from, that connection. And so then there's a very slow process where the mother encourages the child to go out and explore, but the mother creates what's known as a secure base. The, it informs the child through its, its gestures, its looking, that it's safe. There's a place that it can return to. Now, if a child's been suddenly separated from its mother, there's um, a traumatic... What did I pronounce that weirdly? Traumatic... <laughs> Traumatic. What the fuck? Now I'm not sure how it's pronounced. <laughs> All right. You ever one of those words and, you know, it just suddenly sounds wrong? Maybe I'm having a stroke. Who knows? Anyway. Uh... <laughs> or it's all going, folks. This is the sign. Okay, anyway. Uh... So there's trauma. And... Uh... And... Bowlby studied this. He was interested in uh, what happens. Bowlby was the first that established that children need to have connection with caretakers. Up until his work, people, uh, children were just radically separated from parents without any thought in these kinds of situations because it was just assumed that the child had food and had water and had somebody basically... Uh, a round of different people coming in and paying attention to it that emotionally the child would do okay. And it turned out that's not true at all. We need to have a sense of a secure place in our lives that's consistent. And when we lose that, it's traumatic. So separation, loss, the Buddha said it's going to happen. And it happened to these children. And what Bowlby saw is that there's four stages of grief that we go through. The first stage is uh, complete uh, non-acknowledgement emotionally. We don't accept it and we protest. Where's my mommy? I don't believe this. 
Because the emotional experience of losing suddenly our security, the person we love, the, the person we're clinging to, is so unbearable that we can't process it. We don't want to feel the feelings. We don't want to accept it. So there's this protest, this stomping, this denial. The second stage, the child looks for a replacement, an exact duplicate of the mother, a nurse that will, it can, will constantly be there, or searches for the mother. Where is my mommy? It won't, uh, it still is not allowing the grief, the loss, the sadness, the lamentation, any feeling of despair to arise. The third stage is when those two stages of denial fall apart and we move into grieving. Absolute hysterical loss. Um, hopelessness. And this is a very, very, very important psychological stage. Because up until this moment, the child has been working with an underlying, what psychologists call, internal working model of the world. And that internal working model has been, there's a mommy that I can go back to and I'll be safe. And suddenly that working model no longer is true. And what Bowlby uncovered is that to move on in life, to let go of a working model that we've been living with, to get rid of the old working model and to open to a new one, we have to grieve. We have to go through sorrow, lamentation, despair. There's no way around grieving. In the fourth stage, we uh, finally begin very slowly to look for new relationships that can provide us with a sense of connectedness, a sense of security, a sense of connection with others. So we're not replacing the mother with an exact duplicate. We are, in fact, changing our entire working model. We've gone from, I have one person that looks after me, that does everything for me, to a working model of I don't have that, but I do have a community of other children and nurses and doctors around me. And if I slowly, incrementally open to them, I can get my needs met. Does this make sense? Are you following so far? Okay. Now, a lot of psychologists after, like Masterson, afterwards determined that this kind of four stages of grieving and the importance of mourning is not just for children, it's for everyone. In every point of our life, when we lose something, when we go from a state of having something we can depend on, a person, and we lose that, when we lose a relationship, when we lose a surrogate family in a job, when we lose a very important connection, we need to go through the stage of grieving, of sorrow. If we don't, there's actually a lot of damage that happens. So let's explore that for a moment. If the child who's lost its mother gets stuck 
in the first two stages of denying and protesting and searching for the mother that's no longer there or for an exact replacement, what happens is that child never feels the emotional loss. It never feels the sadness. And it stays locked into that old working model of the world. And guess what? People can stay in that. You know, in fact, each of us know people who are living in old working models where they're looking in a relationship for a mommy that will take care of them and do everything for them because they've never gone through the grieving of, being, of the separation process. They've never truly accepted it. Every single difficult emotional experience we go through needs to have those emotional uh, feelings of loss attended to rather than cut off through denial and protest. And actually, as we grow older and become adults, we can protest pretty fucking well. We can say, our, instead of stomping our feet, and demanding to see our mommy. Instead, we can launch into long, long diatribes of how unfair it is. And this is wrong. And this shouldn't have happened to me. And I shouldn't have been dumped from that relationship or fired from that job or been kicked out of that band or been, you know, thrown out of this thing or that thing. And so in that, in that ongoing protest and that trying to figure out what happened, what we are doing is we are delaying the process of actually feeling the emotional toll of the loss, which allows us then to change our working model and to move on to a new emotional working model. This is what creates in psychology what's known as uh, transference. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. But basically what happens in a lot of uh, my work, simply hearing people's uh, challenging issues, is they come in and they talk to me. And interestingly enough, they are still emotionally living in a traumatic event that happened 20 years ago. They're still trying to get uh, the kind of uh, unconditional, uh, always being paid attention to um, kind of paternal, maternal attention. They've never deeply acknowledged the loss of not only the separation that we go through in life as we move on and become individuals where we don't have that secure base often to return to, people don't process that. We don't allow ourselves to feel that sadness, that grief. And it's understandable because going through disappointment is really one of the most hopeless, difficult experiences we can go through when we go through a divorce or a separation or a loss. That feeling can really be one of complete, utter 
confusion because until we move from stage three, hopelessness, grief, loss, the loss of that internal working model, to stage four, where we begin to work into a new working model, we have no way to emotionally understand life. We're completely at loss, at bay. So, for example, the normal course of affair, affairs in life is we first start out orbiting our mothers as very young children, and our needs are met. And then eventually another woman or a, a father comes in and they pull us away from that orbit, and then we integrate with other children. And so each time we do this, gradually our working models change, but sometimes it happens abruptly. And if we don't process it, we get stuck, and we don't move along to finally move into an adult emotional working model of the world, which is, I'm somebody who needs other people, who needs deep emotional connections, who needs to be able to express his feelings, his fears, his desires to other people. Every adult needs that. That's the working model we need to go to, to the place where we acknowledge that we need other people to help us process and understand life. Unfortunately, if we don't go through the stages of sadness that come through each stage where we first try to get all those needs met by just one person, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or uh, just a close friend, if we don't go through those processes and get to the adult stage where we have our need for a community or a support group or a larger connected group, we can wind up as adults trying to get those deep needs met in other ways. For example, children who stay stuck in denial and protest replace eventually the mother with toys. Adults who never allow themselves to feel grief and then move on to opening up to other people often replace meaningful relationships with other people with the internet or with TV or with their iPads or with whatever. We look desperately for any way we can not to acknowledge our need of having other people that we can open to and bond with and become vulnerable with and connect with. And that's what this is about. This is not about, Dharma Punks is not about coming and hearing some weird looking guy with tattoos talking about Buddhism and Buddhist psychology and, you know, then going away. This is an excuse to get you all together. So hopefully you will begin to reach out to other spiritual practitioners and begin to form that support that allows you to process the really scary events that will happen in your life. It's very, very difficult to grieve and mourn alone. But in life, as we go through the losses, the difficulties, when I had my uh, setback with sciatica, I had a lot of friends that I could talk to about the fear you know, that happens when you can't walk, you can't move. And that allows us to process our emotions in a way that's um, 
bearable. If I had to go through suddenly losing my mobility completely alone, I have no way to regulate and to move through that mourning or that sadness. But if I have a connected realm of other uh, spiritual or caring people in my life, I can talk about it, and then I can move through the mourning, but I move through it without feeling, without adding all that unnecessary suffering of why me. So if the child goes through this grieving completely alone, it tends to think it's the only one who's, who's been separated from its mother. But if we have caring people there in our lives, we go through our grief knowing from that connectedness that we're not alone, that it's not about us, that this happens to everyone. And that actually makes the grieving more bearable when we don't add all the additional stuff about why me, why am I being singled out, it's unfair. So finally, um, there's some strategies that rather than protesting the difficult events in life for too long, there's times in life when we, unfortunate events should be protested, obviously social injustice. That I'm not talking about. I'm just talking about the kind of inevitable losses that all human beings have, the relationship breakups, the uh, losses of people we're close to, the times we move or somebody we love moves away. So we have these experiences and it's very useful to have a set of self-soothing strategies that help us go through this experience without it being too overwhelming. As an adult, for instance, we can soothe ourselves by... Um, doing something that relaxes the body. We can do yoga. We can do stretches. We can uh, lie in a warm bath. We can sit in the sun. We can take a walk. Not me right now, but everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, uh, we can garden. We can... Do something that really feels soothing. The difference between self-soothing and an addictive avoidance is that drinking, drugging away, numbing ourselves, trying to escape sadness, loss, loneliness through television or whatever, through endless posting on Facebook, whatever, <laughs> is that this is an escape we don't want to feel the underlying feelings. The self-soothing technique, we still feel the sadness, the loss, the grief, but there's something there that mitigates it, that makes it a little uh, more bearable, that gives a frame or a softness to the experience that allows us to move through it. Another process is um, Vipassana, which is basically as we go through times of loss and sadness, the Buddhist practice of breaking it down first into how the body feels when we're in absolute sadness. How does the breath feel? 
what's happening in the stomach, in the throat, in the face, moving from the somatic expression of sadness, loss, lamentation, up to the mental experience. That breaks it down into very, very um, manageable experiences. So we can move through and honor and attend to the loss. But we do it in a, in, a, in a way that we're first focusing on the body. And I've found that to be the most efficient way with the people I work with to process old, unattended sorrows and losses and griefs. What we do is we hold an image that reminds us of a really traumatic event in life, but then instead of just going through the entire thing, um, the images, the thoughts, the... Uh, emotions, all at once we start with the body and the breath. How does that feel to be separated, to have lost someone? And then I'm, we move up gradually. And in doing it in a step-by-step way, it's a very um, bearable approach to grieving. It is very sometimes important when we go through the most traumatic losses to return to an older model with a secure person that can help you work through it. So if we're really working through a deeply traumatic loss that we can't handle, even with our friends and our support group, then we seek out a therapist and we rely on that person. And for a while we go back, it's called in psychology, it's a bit regression, to a point where we depend and we rely on the therapist to help us process and feel safe as we mourn. And then, once again, we return to our friends and, and open to them. So sometimes that's necessary, and that's not bad. That's very useful. I'm just sharing this because I don't think that um, opening to loss and grief is... Um, as scary as we can very often make it. It's an important process. And if we don't go through it, we will stay stuck. And what also happens is if we don't go through finally acknowledging these losses is that there will be a lot of anxiety in our life. Because when we've compartmentalized feelings of loss, pushed it down, not acknowledge the times when something has gone completely wrong, when we've lost or when we don't get the love we need. Well, and if we don't allow ourselves to feel that sadness, we push it down, then every time we go through a situation where it's reminiscent of that repressed experience, it'll start to rise up, those feelings we haven't allowed ourselves to feel. And guess what? We're going to feel anxiety. We're going to feel worry. You ever feel, for example, real fear going for a job interview or a date? Or suddenly we're really frightened of an upcoming event? What's happening there, that anxiety, it's very often not about the actual event. It's about the fact that it reminds us of a time when we experienced a loss that we never, ever acknowledged and attended to. And that anxiety is the feeling, is the fear that those, those deep emotional 
expressions are going to start rising up. And so we try to figure a way out to avoid it. If we really go through the process of working through and turning to what's beneath, why am I so bent out of shape about this, this date or this event? Why am I so worried about it? And we let go of the story of this thing and just go into the feelings. Very often the older story will arise and we can attend to the feelings. So we can use this as a process to really unearth all the sort of dark experiences that we've pushed away. And we're no longer, when we do that, running from anything in our lives. We actually emotionally become completely up to date. And we actually can live really deeply connected lives where we're no longer concealing or compartmentalizing or uncomfortable in our own skin. And when we do this, we no longer feel there's something missing. No sense of there's an emptiness or a hollowness because we've actually, that sense of there's something missing or hollowness is the feelings we haven't allowed ourselves to attend to. So that sounded deep and... (laughs) I understood a good 90% of what I just said. That's good. So I hope tucked in there, there was something worthwhile. I really, really am grateful for your coming and listening. And now I'm going to turn this off.